Sports are back. Save 40% when you subscribe to The Athletic. I'm Zach. I'll be at Brown's practice every day that we're allowed. I've enjoyed uh, not only watching the NBA and baseball, but following along, reading my colleagues on The Athletic every single day. I don't want you guys to miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. So subscribe now and save. See for yourself the creativity, the reporting, the storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. Go to theathletic.com slash civilized barking. That's theathletic.com slash civilized barking. If you're not a subscriber and you become one with 40% off your first year. Sports are back and you don't want to miss this. Theathletic.com slash civilized barking for 40% off an annual subscription. See you soon. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hi, everybody. We're live from training camp. Just kidding. We're still at home. There's still no football. But I'm Zach Jackson. He's Jason Lloyd. And we, like you, if you're listening, are waiting for football. Uh, We're following this. We're wondering. uh, Normally... And again, I hate even using that word. I feel like I've written it and said it over and over again in a normal year, right? Browns have not done normal. This isn't going to be normal. But instead of being like five days into full pad, full speed practice, we're still 10 or 12 days from any kind of practice. So we're waiting and we're waiting and we're hoping. And we're just kind of uh, here. So welcome. I'm still in my office. I've been in my office for 147 straight days. Yeah. Um, mixed in a couple showers, drank a lot of coffee, and that's my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. Um, it's strange, and we could go over it. And I think, as I mentioned before, from my writing and then just from us kind of talking through things before we got on here, um, I don't think anybody listening wants all COVID talk. I don't think anybody reading the athletic and, and you should be if you're not um, once all COVID talk, but it's directly affecting the NFL. There's a COVID reserve list. Um, the offseason rosters are smaller than they have been. Um, guys who are cleared to be in the building are still getting tested every day. The head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles got cleared to get in the building and then failed a test and is now at home. So is it in there? Um, it's in the Browns quarterback room, right? With Garrett Gilbert um, going on as of Monday afternoon, going on the COVID reserve list. You know, Garrett Gilbert is very close with Baker Mayfield. So um, it's sensitive, and we don't know, you know, how close he was to, to anyone, but those guys are friends. Um, those quarterbacks are working together all the time. Those quarterbacks were with all the rookies when they're in there. So, um, Jason, let's talk some football, but let's just get this out of the way. You know, how do you feel about things from afar, as you mentioned, in your office, not in the facility? Um, tracking this, knowing that the NFL, you know, has the agreement signed and that the NFL is going forward and saying, yeah, this is going to be in August like no other, but on September 13th, we're playing football. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I've done a couple stories now where I talked to three infectious disease doctors, sort of experts that are fantastic and, you know, I've joked a couple of times, I don't want to turn the athletic into the New England Science Journal of Medicine or whatever it's right. called. Uh, but yet at the same time, what these guys are saying is fascinating to me and incredibly relevant. I spoke to Dr. Michael Chang, uh, infectious disease expert, assistant professor at McGovern Medical School at UTH Health in, in Houston. Dr. Ian Gonsenhauser at Ohio State and Dr. Mark Cameron at Case Western. 
And it's really been, like I said, it's really been fascinating to, to talk to these guys. And we've talked, you know, they said they were all in agreement. Baseball wasn't doomed because of the outbreak with the Marlins. And they said that the key was, and this is, I'm getting to football here in a second. The key was if the Phillies start testing positive, baseball is doomed. And they didn't, they haven't. Not, there haven't been a lot of on-field uh, confirmed positive cases from Phillies players. They had some staff, clubhouse staff, but not players. And that's a good sign for football. Uh, now, obviously, baseball and football is a little different. There's a lot more contact in football. It's guys sweating, spitting, bleeding, rolling around on the ground with each other. But the fact that baseball has not had intragame transmission is at least a good sign for football. Okay. So what can we take now? Let's move that a step forward. The story I wrote today, you know, the bubble leagues are working. There's, there's, it's hard to dispute that. That's not to say that it's not going to all come crashing down because all it takes is one breach and the whole thing could come down. But the NBA bubble is working. MLS bubble is working. NHL bubble is working. The NWSL pulled off an entire season or entire tournament without a positive test. The WNBA had two positives. They isolated the cases. One of the players is negative and back and practicing with the team and actually played the other night. The second woman uh, has not been cleared to return, but she is testing negative. They avoided a massive outbreak. So it can be done. Uh, obviously, what baseball and football are attempting to do is a lot more difficult uh, without bubbles. And the doctors that I spoke to made it very clear they didn't have a whole lot of faith that baseball and football are going to be able to pull this off. Football even more so than baseball. Football is like the one sport that the doctors are like, I don't see how this is going to work. But let's just pretend that it does. For the sake of this podcast, for the next 38 minutes, let's pretend that, that they do, that they are able to pull this off. Uh, one other final point to make out of all this that really just kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. I was talking to Dr. Gonzenhauser about it. And, and these are big sports fans, by the way. These doctors I talk to are all huge sports fans. Uh, they, they read The Athletic. The one doctor, uh, Mark Cameron, who lives here in Cleveland, drives to Toronto. He's a Canadian. He drives to Toronto constantly for Maple Leafs games. He's a huge hockey fan. So these guys are invested in sports. And, and, the, and they're coming at this as sports fans, but with medical backgrounds. But the one thing Dr. Gonzenhauser said that really just kind of stopped me cold was um, he made it very clear. We, by no means, are going to be okay in 2021 in terms of returning to normalcy, um, full stadiums. Like, we're, we're still a really long ways from that. And, and what he told me was basically it's going to take through the end of the year to get a vaccine. To get it to, to to get it approved, to get it finalized, all of that, it's at least six months to get it to market to bring it to market. Beyond that, and he said some of the problems that, that, that there are, there's already showing some resistance in the trials of the vaccine. The like it, they, there's still a long ways to go. I guess is the is the best way to put it. Uh, and, and then beyond that, you know, the thing that he said that really kind of stood out to me was, you know, how are we going to handle this with uh, in, in terms of showing proof that, that you've been vaccinated. He said, are we going to have to show proof of a vaccine before you go into a stadium? If we thought my body, my choice was a big deal for masks, wait until we're talking about a vaccine. And I thought, oh my God. And, and I said, so you are not optimistic about 2021. And he said, no, like he said, we're a really, really long way from normal. And I don't say that to be Dr. Death and doom and gloom. 
but just to paint a realistic picture of how far we still have to go yet with this. And, and it's no guarantee basically that you're going to be at a Browns game in 2021 either. Now, you know, we do have the luxury of it being in the fall. Um, and I know we're, you know, we're still trying to get through 2020, but I just, I, you know, this is, this isn't me. This is uh, doctors and medical experts who do this for a living who are saying 2021 is no guarantee. Yeah. I just read that um, about 30 minutes before we logged on. And that was certainly the part that stuck out to me, Jason was 2021 being no guarantee. Um, you know, I always thought it was Zach. Like I've been telling everyone, let's just get through 2020. Let's muddle yeah. through it, grit our teeth. Let's just get through 2020 and hopefully we can have some sort of normalcy again in 2021. And he just peed on my head with that. So, yeah. uh, you know, again, I'm not to be Dr. Death and doom and gloom, but it's just sort of the reality that we're looking at right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm the same way. Like I, I, I just turned in, you know, 45 minutes ago, I turned in my this week in Browns column. Right. And, and hopefully yep. you guys are reading it by the time you're listening to this or whatever, but I mean, you're kind of going sorting back through and my ADD rarely allows me to write anything just in order anyway, right? Start to finish. Yep. So I think, you know, 2,300 some words, maybe six different subheads. And I'm like, I don't want to focus on COVID, but, you know, there's a head coach in the NFL that has COVID. Yep. There's a guy in the Browns quarterback room that has COVID. The, the reason that these early roster moves are being made is because of this. So we have very big guys that are going to be crashing into each other. and. You know, they're not going to be traveling every three days like in baseball, and that's good. Yep. But, you know, they're allowed to go home at night. There's no camp hotel this year, right? Um, guys are 21, 24-year-old guys are, are going to go out places, right? And, um, you know, Joey Bosa said it this week, and he did his Zoom, and everything's on Zoom, obviously. When he signed his contract, they said, what do you think about all this? And he said, I think the smartest team's going to win this year. Um, we know last year the Browns were the exact opposite of that in many fronts. I think with the new guys in charge, and Jason, they still haven't coached a real practice. They've coached some walkthroughs. They finally have met the guys. I don't think they've actually shaken hands with the guys, which is super right. Bizarre. But I, I honestly think that's what it's going to come down to. In a lot of ways, the virus spreading is luck, right? And if you do get it, it's luck. If you're out five days, seven days, 12 days, if you have a couple crappy days and you get back to full speed. But if it really affects you, if guys opt out or if it, a lineman misses the year or part of the year or key guys that you need, and the Browns on September 13th, five weeks from right now, are going to start a rookie at left tackle who's 21 years old and never even played left tackle in a youth football game. Right. It's going to be his first football game playing left tackle. Like if he misses any time or the guy next to him, Joel Batonio, who's tutoring him, misses any time, you got to go into that game. Now it affects the football business. And, and I think you kind of said it. It's awkward for all of us because this is life, not sports. But we're dealing in sports. We're trying to talk sports as a distraction, as something we love, something we want to get back to. And I love, Jason, that the last few days I've been able to turn on the TV and NBA's on all day and all night. Right. But this whole thing just, remains kind of super weird if that makes any sense yeah and and to go back one more point on this and then i'll let you move it on to football but to tie it back to what you said about joy bosa i think you spot spot on about the smart team you know Derek jeter the marlins should be the test case for every pro sports franchise until we are over this uh and and what not to do 
And, you know, Derek Jeter came out and said that the traveling parties got a little bit too comfortable and you just, they just try to act a little bit too normal. And it winds up 21 members of the traveling party get infected by it. Uh, and none of them were terribly sick, but it shut down the team and it really disrupted the baseball season. And, and that should be a lesson for every, because like you said, they go home at night, they can go out at night, they can do whatever they want in the NFL. So let the Marlins be a warning shot. And, and, team, and if I'm Kevin Stefanski, I hold that up in front of them on day one and say, listen, this is what we're facing. This is the reality. If you let your guard down, this can be you and this can be us. And it will screw up our entire season. You have to take this seriously. Uh, I, know, I know in baseball, I think the outbreak got everyone's attention. I think the Marlins are going to handle themselves much differently. We've seen it now with the Cardinals. That's two teams now that have had this. So I, I just think that if there's a benefit, we've said all along the NFL and, and football has had the luxury of letting everyone else go first and they can learn from their mistakes. Well, this is a big one to learn from is, is to see what the Marlins did and do the exact opposite. Of it. Yeah. All right. So we know there's so much uncertainty, um, not only on that front, but for the Browns who are installing new schemes and have new guys calling the shots and frankly have a lot of new players um, either in new roles or guys that, you know, they need, they paid Austin Hooper a lot of money and he didn't talk with anyone else in free agency. They paid Jack Conklin a lot of money. He was signed five hours into free agency. Uh, part of supporting Baker Mayfield was those guys. And part of it was a few hours into free agency paying Case Keenum a lot of money to help Baker Mayfield to be there. So, um, you know, those guys, Jason, as well as Jedrick Wills, Miles Garrett, for obvious reasons, I think we all consider Nick Chubb, Mr. Reliable. As we transition to football, let's do this. You, know, you were there, and I think every game but one last year, you were around a lot back in the good old days when we were allowed in the locker rooms. <laughs> so since we're dealing with so much uncertainty, I, outside of those stars, you know, who kind of caught your eye for one reason or another, good or bad? Um, and let's throw some names out there and, and talk purely football uh, as we try to wade through this uncertainty and transition not only this podcast, but the whole discussion to, hey, yeah, it's still far away, but it's not really that far away. That, if all goes well, we'll, we'll see some football. Well, you know, we talked about this. I texted you a little bit before we started, and I said, where'd you want to go with this? And, and you, you threw that out. You know, let's, let's talk about guys, you know, not necessarily stars, but guys who uh, caught your eye for one reason or another. And the first name I thought of, and maybe this is weird, first guy I thought of was Larry Ogunjobi. And how he, to me, he kind of got exposed a little bit without Miles next to him. And what a what a monster he was uh, with, with Miles on the field with him, and how invisible he became when Miles was suspended. Is that to be expected just because of the position, or was Larry exposed a little bit for what he really is? Well, I, I think probably the answer is kind of in the middle there. Um, I think Larry is super hardworking, high effort guy. I don't think, and this opinion is shared with at least one professional talent evaluator that I know, I don't think that he's the talent that Sheldon Richardson is, but I think he's a more consistent and reliable player. If you follow Larry on social media, you know he's in excellent shape, and we all know what's at stake. This is the end of his rookie contract. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the guys that drafted him are back in charge. Um, he, he is not coming off his best year, but... Andrew Billings is here on a one-year deal. Larry's in the last year of his deal. And although Richardson is under contract, uh, the guarantees are paid this year, and he's got a big, big sum uh, due. 
for next year. So the future is uncertain. Um, I think Larry Ogunjobi is a good player, and I think he's the kind of guy you want around. Um, I think he's capable of bouncing back and establishing himself as a starting quality defensive tackle, and those guys make a lot of money. So how he fits, I don't know, but um, I would say high expectations, maybe not in terms of being a pro bowler, but I think if you look at strengths of the team, Jason, and position groups you can rely upon that have some level of proven production and will be asked to be really good as the Browns kind of figure things out three, four, six weeks of the season. Uh, I like Larry Ogunjobi, and I think the organization is counting on um, nothing but his best in a contract year. You mentioned Sheldon. Uh, he was actually another guy I thought of. I, I thought he was marvelous last year at sort of holding things together when, when the waters really started to, to churn. I don't know if I'm biased because he was such a fantastic talker and I enjoyed just talking to him so much about anything and everything or if his, if his play on the field backed it up. I thought he did a great job even after Miles and the defense really deteriorated. I, I, that's a guy I, I know he's getting up there in age a little bit, but that's a guy I think that means a lot to this defense and a guy that I hope is around in Cleveland for still quite a few years to come. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I thought specifically over the, the last 12 games, 10 games, something like that. I thought he was a really good player. Um, you know, that was his fourth team in four years. And guys is that like, curious to you? Yeah, it doesn't happen because guys like that come with a reputation, right? It right. didn't work for one reason or another. He was a first-round pick who immediately got in trouble but played really well with the Jets. Uh, other teams were hesitant on giving him longer-term deals, and I think they saw flashes. So I think for Sheldon Richardson, it's just consistency. It's, it's being locked in. Um, the money being at stake should do that. He should be more comfortable here. I think a lot of times we overlook, especially in the NFL, when guys change teams via free agency. They change schemes. They change people who help them take care of their bodies. They have so many moving parts in their lives, especially guys who are older and have real money, like Sheldon Richardson does. So I think everything points to him having a big year, including the motivation. So, you know, I think you've come to a good point here, Jason, of both of us share the opinion that the, the huge pressing red alert questions on this team are on the defense, right? But a lot of good defenses across this league start with up front. And if these guys all stay healthy and play to their potential, and in the case of Miles, just a little bit to his potential, I mean, this is a group that has a chance to be really good and really kind of make things easier on the other guys behind them as they go through this transitional period. Uh, just for a minute, do you are you more surprised that David Njoku is still here or that Richard Higgins is still here? Um you know, Higgins just didn't have any other offers. Uh, you can spin it however you want it, but you don't sign a minimum contract after the draft if there's more out there for you. Mm -hmm. However, Jarvis not being ready for the camp and just a lot of uncertainty. You know, Damian Rowley can really run. He hasn't done it consistently. They invested a couple years in Derek Willies. It didn't work out. They drafted Antonio Callaway in the fourth round, and it was an abject disaster, right? So all of a sudden – there, there's a spot there for a savvy receiver, and that's what Higgins is. He's not going to wow anybody. He never has. And last year's a mystery, right? Um, and he's not the only one. But, you know, him being back here, there's probably not a lot of snaps. At least what we know about Stefanski's offense is constructed right now. If you're not number 80 or you're not number 13, there's not a lot of snaps. But as the Browns get there and build, and when they do need a guy, 
I, I think there's a chance that he helps. I mean, I, I just think, look at the circumstances. Donovan Peoples-Jones, if he works out and he has a ton of talent, it's not going to be this year. It's not going to be this September anyway, right? Higgins has four years in the league. He can kind of help you there. Um, as for Najoku, I'm kind of exhausted by this by the whole thing. Um, the Browns flat out replaced him, but then they guaranteed him $6 million for next year. <laughs> um, he, he thanked them by guaranteeing him $6 million for next year, even though he's not reliable or consistent in any area, by demanding a trade, then he walked it back. Um, he's still a guy that's all about potential, that has done it a little bit, and it looks the part. And if he gets in space, he can run like few tight ends can. But honestly, Jason, right now, on August, whatever the hell day this is, 2020, are the Browns any better than they would be if Najoku wasn't on the team or any worse? Because You know what I'm saying? Like, he just – he's not. So – can he fit? Can he be here? And they've made that commitment. But um, like I said, as I wrote last week, at least a couple teams called when, when Rosenhaus' demand hit Twitter, and at least one of them was told third-round pick, and they said, oh, okay, thanks, we'll, we'll call back, but probably won't. So um, if the team loses a tight end, if this Harrison Bryant or you know is ready, if Steven Carlson is ready, maybe they look to make a move. But the Browns already have three extra picks for next year. And something that – We've kind of talked about, but I honestly don't think I've done a good enough job in writing to reinforce that. You know, they like this team. They, they really do. Um, most of the scouts and execs are still here. You know, only three or four of the coaches stayed, but they were reworked Olivier Vernon's deal to keep him. They reworked Chris Hubbard's deal to keep him. Andrew Barry was only gone for 11 months, right? Like, you know, the quarterback – the two running backs, the two receivers, three of the offensive linemen, the defensive line intact. Like they feel like they're, it's another regime change and they all run together. Right. But I feel like under Dorsey, they, they closed that talent gap. They actually changed the curve as far as talent. And I think they feel like they like this team. And so there's going to be moves. There's going to be surprises. There's going to be guys. The scheme doesn't fit or the new coaches don't like, or somebody that gets hurt and falls way behind. But for a team that's had no real offseason, that has as many new pieces on the surface as they do, I think – well, I know they have – their belief is that they have a good feel for it, for, for things. And I think the thought is that, hey, we're not perfect, but we're pretty good. And most of our core for when we're really ready is here. So, you know, starting in six weeks or so, we'll see if they're right. You mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones, and I think we touched on this in our in our last podcast, but just to drive home the point a little bit, six-round picks are no guarantees to make an NFL roster. Does he make this team, given all the uncertainty, given every team, everything that he's missed out on, it seems that he's gotten a lot more attention than most six-round picks. And I'm just wondering what the reaction would be if he didn't make the team. And I guess I would be quite surprised if he didn't. Do you think he's a lock to make this team or no? And would it come at the expense of someone like Higgins? Yeah, I don't think he's a lock. But I don't think it's Peoples-Jones versus Higgins-Jason because I think they're two different categories. I think Peoples-Jones is for the future. They know he needs a lot of polish. And they know in this offense where they're going to ask guys to run these deep crossing routes and get open off play action that these big, long strides from a guy who has some gifts you can't teach could eventually be developed. But can he catch up in four weeks and 14 padded practices? Probably not. 
I think it's more Higgins versus real getting real snaps versus Ratley versus Jojo okay. Nats. You know, Taewon Taylor still on this team. Um, I cannot call Peoples Jones a lot for the reasons that you listed. He, he's a six round rookie. Those guys are guaranteed nothing. And this is a team that has, you know, experience, has its starters, has these guys locked up for years to come. But if, as long as he catches on, and if he competes for the punt return job and, and he should at least compete for it, I don't know that he'll win it. I think they, they gave Jojo Natson a million bucks because they want him to get first crack at, at it. Um, I think he makes the team. I mean, he, he's the only one of the draft picks that's not a lock, but that's, that's not a knock on him. That's just the nature of – this is a team that has that more than any Browns team in recent memory has a certain level of NFL proven production and has a certain, has an above average age of more than 23 and a half as they were four years ago, right? So for a kid coming in um, and, and losing all this time, it's going to be difficult. And Jedrick Wills is going to get coached along and tutored along every single hour of every single day. Grant Delpit needs to be a starter on this team, even if it's not every snap in week one. The rest of the guys, you bring them along. Of course, you're not cutting a third round pick, right? Of course, you're not cutting a fourth round pick. A six rounder, he falls behind, so you're you're committed to him, but you're not married to him. But that's certainly one of the things. I mean, I I, I like Ratley from a standpoint of he can just really run faster than almost any. I, I don't know if he's faster than OBJ, but he, he can stretch the field. He can be the guy that when OBJ needs a breather can stretch the field for you, right? But he's a draft pick of the old regime. So what that, that means he's guaranteed nothing. Rashard Higgins is on a dead minimum one-year contract. That means he's guaranteed nothing. So how this whole receiver thing shakes out, especially with Jarvis, you know, not getting much, if any, work in training camp with Odell probably being on a pitch count just based on where he is in his career. I think it's wide open and I'm excited to see how it works out. Take a step back now and, and we and we have a whole offseason to, to digest this. Evaluate Greedy Williams' rookie year and how much his pressure is on him. His second, I think there's a ton riding on him. Obviously, this year, what do the Browns need out of him this year, and how much pressure is really on him to perform? Okay, well, evaluate Greedy Williams' rookie year. I feel like my mom's standing over my shoulder saying, "If you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say." <laughs> <laughs> but again, he's 21, right? Yeah. He comes in, he's thrusts into the starting lineup probably because of his draft position and certainly his raw talent. And not only do you have to learn, but he has that hamstring, right? Week two or week three, misses those games, misses valuable time. You're working from behind even in a normal offseason. He comes back and teams are picking on him, right? Um, he did not play well. So I just think from a physical strength, physical maturity standpoint, in addition to just the natural leap that guys take, in terms of comfort with their surroundings, comfort with the NFL game. You never write off anybody in this game uh, after one year. But does he have a lot to prove? Sure. And I know the Ravens run an unconventional offense, right? But the first third and seven, Jason, where's the ball going? On September right at 15th. him. Right at, right, at, right at Greedy. Yeah. So, you know, they have Terrence Mitchell for one more year, who's, who's a borderline starter. At very worst, he's, he's an experienced guy. He's a valuable guy. They brought in Kevin Johnson on a one-year deal, probably to be the nickel corner. But, you know, he's a former first-round pick. He's played on two teams, two different playoff teams uh, in this league. He's seen a lot. He can help Greedy along. Um, that's one guy on the defense that I, I completely agree. 
I am worried about him, and I know the ball's going his direction, but I feel much better about his long-term prospects than I do, like Taki Taki, Sheldrick Redwine, the linebacker group as a whole. You know, like I, put it this way. I, I don't know Degree will be a good player in this league, but if he is, I won't be surprised. And I think at this time, I, I just think the answer is, is we don't know because we have to see him do it. He has to be a lot. Is his leash shorter because he's one of the few guys that was not brought in by by this regime who Andrew Barry has no ties to? Uh, that's a good question. But right now, because he's a second-round pick and a second-year player, I don't know. You know, could they be picking a corner first a year from now? Sure. But uh, that, that could also be tied to Denzel Ward's future, right? I mean, uh, he, he has missed time in both years. Um, that's a great question. You know, outside of Miles Garrett, Who's really guaranteed here? We assume Matt Wilson's going to be a starting linebacker, right? The way they drafted Jacob Phillips in the third round, we assume he's going to be a linebacker in the future. You know, outside of those guys, who knows? Vernon's on a one-year deal. Richardson, we talked about his contract. Ogan Joby's got one year left, right? So um, hard to know. For the Browns, it's about just just maximizing the potential uh, of these guys. Uh, We think this is the team good enough to at least contend for the all right. Starting in a few weeks. We'll see. We took up so much airspace last year discussing right guard. It was every every conversation, every question, every everything. Had this been a normal offseason, would the linebackers have been that topic this year? Yeah, because, I mean, Kirksey was a given, right? He hadn't been healthy for two years. But – you let Schobert go somewhere else and you really don't have anybody to replace. I mean, like I said, Mac Wilson played as a rookie. Did he play great? No. Did he show flashes as a 21 year old? Sure. Is that valuable experience? Sure. You signed BJ Goodson, who's on his third team in three years. You know, he played for the giants, a terrible defense before that he played for the Packers, not a good defense. So like, I think in any year that sticks out, Jason, but I think it sticks out more as you mentioned, because they were so aggressive It really going out, in addressing those other needs. And it, if you listed three or four needs or three or four places that it was obvious there was going to be a shift in thinking or a shift in the makeup of it, regardless of who was calling the shots or who was coaching the team, right? Then that was the one that was, I don't know, can you say ignored? I think you can't. When you, when you only sign B.J. Goodson and only sign a third rounder, a 21-year-old, I think you can say ignored, and, and, look, and that's fair. Well, that's <laughs> – Let's talk special teams because I don't think we've really done a whole lot of that. And if we're talking about all the airspace it took up last year um, with, with right guard, one A on that would have been special teams and, and kicker and punter. And, you know, I think we were all surprised by Britton Colquitt being cut and, and the Scottish hammer coming in. Obviously, he did a fantastic job. It's funny how much hand wringing we did over punting and kicking. And uh, I think we both said special teams is probably going to cost them a game at some point. Austin Siebert was sensational i went and looked it up this morning converted 86 percent of his field goals you know phil dawson for as hailed as he is as the greatest of all time he only did that five times in his 14 years here he had a percentage higher than what austin's was as a rookie and it took him to year three before he had it austin did it as a rookie phil didn't get over 86 percent until his third year in the league and that was the only time he did it within his first five or six years what a remarkable turnaround. Austin Siebert couldn't hit a bull's ass with a cup of rice in the, <laughs> in the, in the preseason. And then, like, the lights went on, 
and he made everything. <laughs> it was one of the most astonishing turnarounds I've ever seen. What happened with Austin Siebert and with kickers? I mean, kickers are so finicky, right? Year to year, you just don't know what you're going to get. I, I liken them to relievers out of the bullpen. But is there reason to believe that he can continue at the consistency that he was last year? Yeah. So, first of all, drafting a, a kicker in the fifth round is like the ultimate in arrogance, right? Like, I just that, – that's what I thought. You'll, you'll never really convince me different because there's too much – too many examples of guys who were excellent college kickers who fought. And it's like, if you think you're going to be good, you just go spend money on one, a guy that's proven it, right? So they draft him, and he comes in, and you're right. Like, the first two weeks of camp, it wasn't bad. It was a disaster. Yes! And it was clear that Greg Joseph was kind of the same way. Like, he wasn't really good enough, but he was consistently out kicking inside. And you're like, okay. Again, this is why you don't draft a guy, whatever. But the leg was obvious. And I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was mechanics. I don't know if, you know, maybe he just didn't feel good some days or something. I don't know what it was. I kept asking him. Right? I don't uh, think he but, knew what it was. Yeah, but he turned around. And I'll tell you, the leg power is, it's there. It's there. And I know he kicked at Oklahoma and he punted too. But he grew up in the Chicago suburbs. He knows the snow. He knows the elements. The strength is there. It's just got to be more consistent. And the missed extra points were a little bit maddening. So the field goal numbers were good. The missed extra points were maddening. But you look at both guys, um, keeping them last year, Jason, and then keeping the two special teams coaches when you went through another total clean out tells me that that's just a vote of confidence in both of those guys. And that the Browns expect them to be around for a long time. While we were talking, um, there was – semi-significant roster news and that is Andrew Billings who we just talked about has opted out of the season so Larry Ogunjobi being the first guy that you just talked about that's big because you just went from three starting quality defensive tackles to two and now Jordan Elliott that third round pick who you were going to bring along slowly now he's next in line there so um you know Billings is a guy that that showed some flashes in Cincinnati he he, ha- he was not picked until the fourth round, uh, probably because of some off-field concerns. But he was not a pro bowler player, but he was a productive guy. And he was a guy in that mix. And so now a defense, and we just talked about the strength of the team, the defensive line, um, just took a hit. So this is the reality of, of where we are in 2020. One guy's out for the whole year. Another backup uh, named or placed on the COVID list. And every single day, you know, the roster is, is changing, and this is the uncertainty that we live in. I mean, like I said, Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson were your listed starters, but you're down essentially a starter in what you thought was one of the strongest groups of the team. This is – I just thought of this, and this is, this is interesting to me. Injuries are part of sports, right? Like, in every league, injuries are part of sports, but no more so than in the NFL. In the NFL, it is king that you know guys are going to – get hurt you know you're gonna be playing without guys listen this covid and opt-outs are certainly not injuries but yet they're treated like them like it's the guy's not there he's not there he's not available our nfl teams i'm not sure how to say this our nfl teams more equipped to handle situations like this than maybe other leagues or am i reaching only because you know going in on day one of camp you're looking around on the field going, we're going to lose five or six or seven of these guys guaranteed. 
Well, I think in a way they are. But in a normal year, Jason, you have this emergency list and you fly the guys in and you work them out and you sign the best one. Well, you know, is that going to be able to happen this year? I don't yeah, know. Right. If you claim a guy off the waiver wire from another team eight states away, can you immediately fly him and get him in your building the next day? I don't know. Um, we're an hour from having a, a Zoom call with Andrew Barry. That's pretty much verbatim what I'm going to ask him. Do you feel confident if that happens? So, yeah, uh, teams are equipped, and that's that's how it goes. There, there is an emergency list for every position. There is a reason, and then the Browns have been hurt through the years of not developing their own guys, right? Uh, practice squads are expanded this year. Um, if you have to call up a guy for COVID reasons, it doesn't count against the uh, the roster limitations with pulling them up and down. But this is going to be a reality. And so in that way, it's not new, right? Like, like Stefanski saying last week, hey, our secession plan, should I get the virus, is not just who becomes head coach. It goes all the way down to who moves up where or if the defensive coordinator who moves up where. In a way, you've always had that in the NFL because you, the staffs are so big and you have to be ready for everything. You work 100-hour weeks for one three-hour game on Sunday. It, it, you have to be – and the smart teams are ready for anything. So, so I guess the answer there is yes, but until you go through it, and because you're so new every single year, because your your coaches are just meeting the guys they're coaching this week, yeah, it's hard to say, and that, and that adds another layer to all of this where we're all guessing. Well, we probably need to at least address the the Odell thing. Uh, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. I know you don't either. Um, curious to get your thoughts quickly. I'll tell you mine. I don't understand, like. I, I don't think the Wall Street Journal did anybody any favors because, and I understand it was a magazine, it was a Q&A. I would like to know a little bit more of the, was this really a phone interview? Was this a list of questions submitted? Because the answer that he gave about he didn't think we should have football this year and we weren't ready for football, that deserves a couple of follow-up questions. And then that becomes a breaking news item that you post right away. You don't sit on something like that because in the news cycle, things are changing all the time. And so I don't, I, I think that a disservice was done just by the timing of it all. I thought that could be handled better. Um, just be, if he says it, go with it. Everything changes two weeks from now, three weeks from now, or, or whenever it was. And that's why I, I would like a little bit more understanding of, of how the interview took place. It, it certainly sounded to me like it was over the phone. He talked about he was on a boat. And he, as soon as he was done with the interview, he was getting on a jet ski and going. So it made it sound to me like it was a over-the-phone Q&A. But that type of answer requires a couple of follow-up questions. And that requires an immediate publishing. You know, you can build an entire story around that. It doesn't have to be 2,000 words, but you can build an entire story just around those couple of quotes, get the comment from the league like they did, and you push go. Uh, I, I know there's a deeper issue here that it's always Odell. Odell's always doing stuff like this, but I just, in this instance, I just, I thought that the wall street journal didn't do a whole lot of favors to anyone by holding on to it as long as they did. And, and really it turned into way more than it should have been. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what happens with Odell, but certainly the circumstances here because he said it, but then he went and reported, right. Mm -hmm. Trying to get out in front of him saying he saw how clean the facility is he's here They go ahead and tweet a picture of him, you know, running in the field house with his mask on. Yeah. Like, we, we know that. Um, I think you said it well, and I would just say this. Uh, 
I like Odell, and I will say over last year, again, back in the good old days when we were allowed in the building, he was nothing but respectful, thoughtful, and open with me individually, I thought with the group as a whole. And I know for a fact that the players like him, that he goes out of his way to do things to help the younger guys, to bridge the gap that he, because he's an off-field superstar and all of this stuff. But there's always going to be something that's who he is. He's not a bad guy. He's never been arrested. Unless, well, I don't, what happened at the Sugar Bowl, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but there's always going to be this with Odell. There's always going to be GQ and the Wall Street Journal and the Met Gala and all of this stuff. And that's fine. He's his own person. This is this is who he is. This is what you sign up for. So, um, you know, to me, it's something that went away quickly. It was super awkward. There is no football going on. Um, what's next? His watch, his socks, his next interview that hits the newsstands, even though we hadn't, we thought those didn't exist anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. We don't know what it's going to be. And the Browns have to be content slash comfortable slash ready for that. And Odell just has to get out and play football. Uh, this is a big year for him as a football player, uh, for his football legacy, all of those things. But to me, you know, a healthy, engaged Odell Beckham is one of the guys that can help this offense not just be good, but get to that next level. And I look forward to when, when and if, I guess, it's football. I mean, I'm going to miss these open locker rooms like crazy because that's where you got the good, raw, real stuff 30 minutes after the game, right? And I'm not going to miss the questions about what Odell wore that day because I don't give a shit. 100% agree. 100% agree. <laughs> All right. I don't know what else. That, I don't know what else to say, period. Wrap us up and get us out of here. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, as far as things I do give a shit about, um, August 12th, the Browns will have time-restricted practices with helmets. They'll do that for a few days as part of the ramp-up period. August 17th, which is uh, 13 days from us recording this, that, that opens the practice window. They're going to live stream portions of camp so you guys can watch. Uh, we still don't know if we're going to be allowed to watch every day or every other day or whatever that's going to be. But there will be football, maximum 14 padded practices in that three-week window. And obviously with no preseason games, there's going to have to be live periods. There's going to have to be management of guys' bodies to know that have to get some full speed hitting and, and rhythm and all that as part of, of getting ready. So as ready or not as the Browns can get before September 13th, we'll continue to cover that from what we know. Um, subscribe if you haven't already. We look forward to actually – um, maybe leaving our houses, even if it's only for an hour at a time, even if we have to be 60 yards away from the play, that's fine. And I'll get some binoculars and um, yeah, it's fun. This is a fun time of year. And so it's awkward as hell, but we'll be there. So for Jason, I'm Zach. Thanks for listening to Civilized Barking and make sure you follow us on The Athletic as we count down to football.